Hi. Welcome to Malicious Compliance. Please enjoy. Following a termination letter to a T. Story by Kayasha. I was working for a security company, let's call it ASD Security. We had three shifts, day slash evening and night for the weekday and 12 hour shifts for the weekend. Being the new guy, I was on the night shift. The job was at a trucking company. We were in a boot in the middle of the entrance and our job was basically to make a ticket that we give the driver for the in and outs of trucks. Driver's name. The license plate of the truck. Truck's trailer number. Date stamped, did the stacks at night. And we had a log for trailer numbers also that we cross-checked. Because it's a night shift and less traffic, our job was also a perimeter check, logging in all trailers and trucks in a separate log, stamping the date on tickets, maybe 200 tickets roughly if not more, and we were a call center for other security guards on other sites. This means every hour, the other security guards would call me, around 12 of them, to check in and say everything is fine. If one didn't check in, I called, if no one answered, I had to send a patrol car to make sure everything was okay. Also making sure the doors are locked, the security system armed, and cleaning the boot. The client of the trucking company complained to ASD security that I was number one always on my phone, number two didn't like the fact that I was smoking cigarettes, he said too much, and number three that he saw me on a camera talking to myself and found it weird. One, one weekend after training was done, there was no way in hell I was going to be picking up or making 12 calls an hour. I got my old Bluetooth headset, single ear thingy, and hooked it up to the work cell phone. That helped me stamp the shit out of the tickets while taking the calls. I could be on a security check of the property and still take calls and write down the incoming calls, I could even do the logs of trailers since I was hands-free. But hey, I was on my phone too much. What else to do at 3am eating my lunch and browsing the web or taking 12 calls an hour? 2. Because I had a routine down and I even changed the order of my routine so it does not become predictable. I was able to streamline my job and had free time, so I took breaks here and there, smoked cigarettes, and went back to it. I smoked at the designated spot that was near my boot, so I had a view of the incoming slash leaving trucks, if one came by, I just chucked the cigarette in the bucket and did the truck. Nope, the client didn't like that. 3. Well that ties into number 1 or I would be signing to music that was playing in my earbud or me commenting out loud on something I was hearing on the radio. Monday morning, my shift was about to end, everything it did, my checklist is empty of tasks to do, and who pulls up in an ASD security car, my director. She pulls me to the side, hands me a letter, and explains what's happening. Letter a termination due to the client's complaint. Reason numbers 1 to 2 and 3 and please sign on the dotted line. The only thing I said was serious? Here is my compliance, the letter stated that my termination was in one week. Here the laws are that if a company terminates slash fires you, they have to give you two weeks notice, if the notice is shorter than two weeks the remaining time must be paid out. Happily signed and she already signed her part. I went in the boot to collect my things. My supervisor is the one doing the day shift and was puzzled. He asked me what was happening. I just told him, Madam ASD security just fired me and the letter says my last day is Friday. He told me to stay in the boot and started yelling at the director while walking toward her. He came back swearing because he was not told ASD security was firing me, they didn't have a replacement guard and training was about one week. Along came Friday, and my supervisor was not happy. I had a trash bag with the uniform and gear they gave me. After my shift was done, I drove to the office, dropped the bag on Madam ASD security desk, and left. She was not at her desk. My phone rang, it was the director asking what the hell was going on and why did I bring back my uniform as I still had one week's notice left to fulfill legally. 
I just answered, as per the termination contract we both signed, on Monday 20th of my 20xx, the last day of work will be Friday the 25th 20xx. I am sorry but legally speaking, as this letter is signed by both parties, if I come into work past the 25th and something goes wrong I am not covered by ASD security and this letter can be used as proof against me. Please send me my check for the remainder of my two weeks notice by mail, have a nice day. She tried to contact me again in the afternoon, but my phone was on mute as I went to bed. I woke up to a text message saying they are screwed and don't have a replacement for me could I come in at least for that weekend. I did not answer and never heard from her again. My ex-supervisor called me asking if I was going to come in, and said no. He was swearing because he had the call the day guy, put him on the night shifts, and take his place during the weekend. It messed up the schedule and the hours of everyone, they had to fork out overtime not paid by the client because it was an ASD security problem. They had to find a replacement ASAP and train him and get him to work solo during the following weekend, with more overtime and more screwed up schedules. My shift was Wednesday 11pm to Thursday 7am. Thursday 4.45pm to Thursday 11.45pm. Friday 11.45pm to Saturday 11.45am. Saturday 11.45pm to Sunday 11.45am. Sunday 11.45pm to Monday 7 hours colon 45pm. 8 slash 8 slash 7 slash 12.35 hour week 1. 12 slash 8 slash 8 slash 12.40 hour week 2. I don't recall 100% of my schedule but it was something along those lines, it was a weird one, all that to accommodate the supervisor because he wanted a lighter week and the evening person couldn't do Friday evenings and other bullshit. You can imagine the fuck up with the schedule once I left. Edit, formatting, I am on a cell phone, sorry. Edit 2, my shift was written with 11.45pm to 7.45am but paid 0 o'clock to 8 o'clock. Supervisor said that if you told a security guard to come in Friday at midnight, 90% of the time, the people would show up Friday at 11.50pm-ish. A lot of people here seems to not understand that Friday midnight equals Thursdays 11.59 then boom we are Friday 0 o'clock or midnight. Edit 3 boot equals booth, my brain at 2am was trying to translate greed and my brain went for toll booth. So boot is it? I am keeping it at boot because it's funny. Edit 4, a lot of people asking, I was paid the remainder of my 6% vacation time slash my remaining sick leave days as per the bylaws and my one week of notice that was remaining also, I was able to take a one to two week break and found another job. Edit 5, for the lazy people, TLDR. Director of my company went on site where I was working to hand me out an official firing notice, it was a one-week notice, hereby law it's two weeks notice, so they had to pay the remainder by check. The supervisor on site didn't know they planned to fire me and they never found a replacement for me in time. Since it was supposed to be two weeks notice. The company had to fuck around the schedule, train someone and pay overtime, even the supervisor had to work on the weekend. When shit hit the fan, the director called me to ask if I could do the other week, told her I signed a paper stating one week's notice, sorry legally I cannot. She texted me to cover at least the weekend. I never responded. Stop blaming the person I'm training for the rookie mistakes he has been making. Very well. Story by Force Accomplished 890. Okay, so this one happened a while back actually and it's not as epic as some others here, but still. I used to work as a temp in a cardboard factory. I started out assisting the machine operators in their work, but after the person who managed the materials, cutting forms, printing stamps, and ink, who henceforth shall be referred to as Dave, was forced to take a week off, paid vacation he was forced to take before the end of the year, 
and the end of year rush was coming up, and things went south because the floor managers couldn't keep up with his job and their own at the same time. The company decided we needed a second person to do Dave's job to avoid situations like that in the future. They tested several people by having them work together with Dave for a couple of hours and apparently I was the only one who did a decent job and so I was told Dave would be training me. I was never asked if I was interested, I didn't even know they were looking for someone to help Dave until I arrived at work one Monday and my schedule said I would be working with Dave. Of course, I didn't mind, because since I was already capable of helping operate 8 of the 10 machines in the factory, I figured this was a great way to further solidify an actual contract with the company. Now, during his week off, Dave had met a woman and they had started dating. She would constantly text him while he was at work and it showed in his productivity. Of course, the COO figured his drop in productivity was because I was slowing him down. As time went on, Dave's girlfriend moved in with him. Now, I haven't mentioned this yet, but the factory had a two-shift system. Early shift and late shift. Most of us worked in rotating shifts, but Dave had a fixed early shift, because he had to be there on Monday mornings. Now, this meant Dave and his girlfriend could never go out on weekdays and even had to go to bed quite early, so Dave requested to be put back on rotating shifts once he had finished training me. The COO said he would look into it, but kept giving Dave excuses. So Dave started interviewing for another job. Then came the day me and Dave were called into the COO's office and got yelled at for not pulling our weight and stuff like that. One of the things mentioned was repeated tardiness. Dave couldn't deny that one, he had overslept several times in the last few months. But I had only been tardy once, because of a flat tire. So, wanting to set the record straight, I tried to interject about my flat tire and the COO snapped at me to keep my trap shut while he was talking. So after his rant and he dismisses us from his office I once again bring up the flat tire and he just snaps at me again that I should have just avoided having a flat tire. That was the last drop for Dave. He got home, wrote his letter of resignation, mailed it to the COO, and accepted one of the jobs offers he had gotten that week. For the next three months, I'm stuck doing all the work on my own. Also during this time, due to a change in the laws in my country, I might become homeless, unless I get a contract. So I start asking the COO for a contract since I've been there two and a half years as a temp at that point. Just like with Dave he keeps giving me excuses. After an incident with them refusing any vacation time request, I put in that included a Monday, they finally gave me someone to train to be my second. Let's call him Abdul. About a month after I started training Abdul, I get called into the floor manager's office. Apparently, a mistake was made somewhere and he asks me how that happened. Now that was the first week I was letting Abdul work independently without me constantly telling him what to do. So I tell the FM that Abdul had done that job and I had not yet had the chance to inspect his work. The FM grumbles but just dismisses me. A week later I get called in again for a similar situation. So again I point out that Abdul is learning and mistakes will be made. So this time the FM blows up at me that I have to stop blaming everything on Abdul and if I blame one more mistake on Abdul being a rookie, he's getting me fired. This is where compliance comes in. Around this same time, me and Abdul were put in opposing shifts. My first order of business every day would be to double-check all of Abdul's work and fix any mistakes. I couldn't inform him of his mistakes so he kept making them. Abdul also started to get sneaky. You see, part of our tasks had to be done in an area of the factory where only the two of us would frequently go, so Abdul would do all the work that was to be done where people could see him work, leaving me with all the tasks behind the scenes, meaning I was never anywhere to be found. We also had these big barrels of ink, which were hooked up to a machine that mixed the basic colors of ink into other colors. Abdul had always refused to change these barrels when they were empty. He would usually state he hadn't had time, 
even though making sure those barrels aren't empty was a priority job. This eventually all culminates into a moment about eight months after Dave left where I am once again called into the COO's office. I'm thinking I'm finally getting my contract after three years as a temp. I'm also convinced Abdul got a contract the week before, though Abdul and the COO have always denied that. Instead, I'm told I'm fired. The COO also goes out of his way to inform me that he's been wanting to fire me for six months now, because he blames me for Dave quitting but was asked not to by the floor managers until I had trained someone to replace me and they considered Abdul to be ready to do the job now. He also told me that he did appreciate the work I did, he just had a problem with me personally. After my meeting with the COO, I make my round of the factory to inform my co-workers that I have been fired and to say goodbye. The look on Abdul's face was pure panic. He suddenly realized that despite me demonstrating how to change those in barrels, he had never actually done it himself and as such didn't remember how to do it. A week after I left I got a message from one of my former co-workers that the entire factory was looking to go to the COO's office and demand they rehire me because Abdul was not only doing a poor job, but he was also being a megalomaniac. I told her not to bother because if they did rehire me, it would only make the COO hate me even more. Several months after another former co-worker informed me that not even a month after I was fired, Abdul was demoted back to the assistant machine operator and one of the floor managers had to take over his tasks full-time. TLDR boss wants to fire me because he hates me. The manager tells him to wait until I've trained someone. The manager yells at me for mistakes my trainee made and tells me to stop blaming my trainee. I start secretly fixing my trainee's mistakes. The manager thinks the trainee is doing a good job and allows the COO to fire me. Everyone finds out the trainee is actually incapable of doing the job because he was relying on me to do all the work. Malicious Compliance, Immigration Law Edition Story by Proud Reading 3316 This is a tale of how I maliciously complied my client into a much better visa route after the home office refused her first application. I'm an immigration lawyer in the UK and if you don't know anything about our immigration system, it's just a mess. The rules are tough, often cruel, very complex and there's very little flexibility. It doesn't matter how sympathetic someone's circumstances are, if you don't meet all the rules, you're not coming in, even if it's to join your family. Even if you're an elderly person who just wants to spend their final years with their British children. Especially if you're an elderly person who just wants to spend their final years with their British children. Enter Doris, not her real name. Doris is a 93-year-old Australian citizen who lives alone in a nursing home. All her children are in the UK. Doris had a modest wish, to move in with her daughters in the UK and spend her twilight years with her family. She was in pretty good health but her continuing isolation led to anxiety and depression especially after she was the victim of a robbery. So Doris did what she thought was the right way of going about it. She applied to move to the UK as an adult dependent relative. What she did not know was that this route had almost impossible requirements, so tough that only about 5% of these applications are actually granted outright, and a further 5% succeed on appeal. So the odds are pretty terrible and you don't get the £3,250 application fee that you paid back if it's refused. Alongside financial and relationship requirements, she had to show that she required continuous care with everyday tasks like dressing and cooking for herself and that this care is not available in Australia. She could meet neither of these rules and her application was refused. The refusal letter made a point of emphasizing her excellent health, important for later, as evidenced by the letter she included from her doctor, completely ignoring the parts about her anxiety and depression. This is when she approached my firm for help. Now, Appealing this decision would have been a waste of time. 
She clearly didn't need constant care with everyday tasks and any care that she might have needed could be found in Australia. But after speaking with Doris, we realized something. Not only was she a Commonwealth citizen, as a citizen of Australia, but both of her grandparents were born in the UK. So we hatched a plan. The plan. What Doris didn't know is there was another visa she might be eligible for UK ancestry. To meet the requirements, she had to be a Commonwealth citizen and have at least one grandparent born in the UK. Done and done. However, this was technically a work visa so she had to intend to work in the UK and she was very much retired. The thing about the UK ancestry route is that the Commonwealth citizenship slash UK born grandparent requirements mean that, overwhelmingly, the people who qualify for this route are white. And because our immigration system is somewhat racist, that means that many aspects of this visa are very generous or even lax compared to other routes. You get a 5-year visa straight away instead of having a 2.5-year one that has to be renewed at extortionate prices before you can qualify for permanent residence. Even the application fee is lower than other categories. Crucially, when it comes to the work aspect, you don't need to be sponsored by an employer, you don't need to work a certain number of hours, the work can be on and off and even volunteering counts as work, this will be important later. The malicious compliance. Do you say Doris is in such great health that she doesn't qualify for an adult-dependent relative visa? Okay, cool, she'll apply for a work visa then. Since the work could be volunteering, she reached out to a community center in the UK and offered to volunteer at a lunch service they provided for the elderly. The center was thrilled to have a new volunteer and wrote her a letter confirming this. After preparing all of the other documents, including some going as far back as the 19th century, like her grandparents' birth certificates, we were almost ready to go. All that remained was our cover letter. After outlining how she met all of the requirements, I couldn't resist quoting from her previous refusal letter about her excellent health and explaining that given that, Doris would now be working in the UK. I also provided details of the few hours a week she would be volunteering at the community center and reminded them that their own guidance says they cannot discriminate by age. Her visa was granted and she has now joined her family in the UK, as she wanted all along, and all she has to do to apply for permanent residence in five years' time is a volunteer for a few hours a week. It's worth pointing out that the reason the adult-dependent relative rules are so stringent is that in 2012, the Home Office decided that it's costing the country too much to allow elderly parents to settle here as they were considered a drain on the NHS, our universal healthcare system that is free at the point of use, so the rules were changed to make it almost impossible for them to move to the UK. This is despite the fact that prior to the rule change, only about 2,000 people used this route to move to the UK. But there was nothing they could do to stop this 93-year-old in excellent health from joining her family here on this work visa. TLDR, Home Office refuses a 93-year-old's application to join her children in the UK because she's in good health so we get her a work visa instead. Thank you for tuning in to listen to these stories, and I hope to see you on the next one. Till then, have an amazing day.